Hey, it's Stephen Henderson today on the podcast. We're going to talk about the future of health development that's taking place in the middle of Detroit near New Center. Henry Ford Hospital, the Detroit Pistons, and Michigan State University say they want to remake the area around the hospital, but they need $293 million in state support to do so. The question is, what will the people who live in that area experience as a result? What should they expect? from a development like this. We're going to hear from someone who was instrumental in creating the Community Benefits Ordinance that governs these kinds of questions in our city. And then we're going to hear from both sides, from the institutions who are doing this project as well as the community that's affected. We're joined by Tanya Myers-Phillips. She is the Community Partnerships and Fund Development Director at the Sugar Law Center for Economic and Social Justice. Uh, Tanya, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning, Detroit. So I want to start with this tension that you and I were talking about before the show started. I feel like we are at a point right now where the expectations that Detroiters have from this community benefits ordinance um, probably exceed the the capacity uh, that this ordinance actually has to deliver in the way that people imagine. And I, I think that in this project in particular, uh, that gap is is what's causing this dispute, that that uh, the, the community benefits ordinance in many people's minds is supposed to assert, the community voice in this process and assert uh, the, the the probability of certain outcomes, uh, and I, I don't. I guess I don't feel like it's doing that. Uh, and I think there are lots of examples where people leave this process feeling like they didn't get what uh, what, what what they expected. Uh, this particular project, I think, um, is is a real flashpoint for that. Uh, so I'd like for you to talk about what you see when you think about this ordinance and the way it's working right now. Absolutely. Well, first, I want to uh, share a little more background with the listeners here in our Detroit community. My office, along with 22 other community organizations, worked together in 2013 to bring about a community benefits That's ordinance. Right. We didn't the, have one for in a the very first long time. place. We did not, <laughs> <laughs> because in this economic development process, public funds were being used without enough accountability to the public. So that's the frame that we need to examine this in. There were two proposals varying in uh, accountability levels. The one we have is the one that, you know, was passed by the ballot and tweaked a little bit along the way. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is a framework. It is one one framework. But the overarching framework that people um, need to view this project with is the framework of how are our public dollars being used? You don't need you don't even need an ordinance to have an equitable view of how to answer that question. So the fundamental question, when you and I go to work every day, right, and we pay our tax dollars, there's an expectation that those tax dollars are used for the common good, 
to fund our schools, to fund our roads, to fund our universities, which in turn helps fund public radio, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Things like public good that we can all benefit from, you know, not that our public dollars, our tax dollars would be used to subsidize a private development, particularly that of a billionaire, frankly. So the core issue that we need to focus on, which is why the ordinance passed and which the ordinance is one vehicle, accountability vehicle, is how are our public tax dollars being used? And the proposal on this table right now is to use $293 million, not $273 million. Okay. $273 million is proposed for future use. But the state of Michigan uh, passed a $20 million appropriation for the Henry Ford expansion already. Right. So the Henry Ford hospitals received a $20 million grant, essentially, to do this project with or without. So you got to add community. that into it, the it, number. It, it's an add-in, right? Yeah. And that's not even considering um, opportunity zones and other incentives outside of the process that we're looking at. So there's already $293 million public dollars that we know about on the table, 80% of which are going to subsidize the private component of the development. The project is presented as one thing, but it's actually three it's different three things. It's, sure. th- it's three things, right? And one of the things, the crux of where the money is going is to subsidize the private sector apartments. They're mostly condo, whatnot, condo studios, one bedroom, luxury apartments by uh, Tom Gore's, the private entity. Mm-hmm. So the question we need to ask ourselves is that the best use of our public funds and what is an equitable and fair exchange if we are going to disrupt the status quo that we have right now the safety center right taxes common good we have that if we're going to shift away and take money away from the commons away from our schools away from our libraries away from what we all can benefit from and put it into a much tinier little box that we all don't do not benefit from, we don't, then what is a fair exchange for that kind of shift in our tax dollars? That is the question that we must ask ourselves and the developers and the decision makers. So so I want to talk a little bit more about this particular proposal in a a second, but I want to go back to the ordinance itself, Mm -hmm. this process, this neighborhood advisory council that is part of, uh, of the process. If you had a magic wand uh, and could make that whatever you thought would work best for Detroiters, what kinds of changes would you make? I mean, as I said, I I think there's a significant gap between what people think this is and can do and what it actually does. But I would love to hear what you think that gap is and how you'd fix it, how you'd fill it. Well, you know, there have been a lot of calls for changes that have already arisen in the community. There were, about two years ago, there was a whole 
a whole study with all the stakeholders, community members, business persons, developers, et cetera, looking at how to amend this ordinance. So a lot of the groundwork has already been done, but just from a basic perspective, one thing you can do immediately, transparency is a huge issue. There are more meetings that take place out of the public eye. Mm. There are more meetings that take place where the public cannot comment or participate in this process than there are public meetings. So the city of Detroit's interpretation of this law is that it's not subject to the Open Meetings Act. Right. You can fix that right away mm-hmm. and have a very open, transparent process where community members can express themselves and have access to all of the information and the conversations. Two, you can lower the threshold, frankly. I mean, this is a very, very high threshold, $75 million or more. So most of the economic development projects escape this um, accountability measure, honestly, right? There are are a lot of uh, dollars that don't even have this measure of protection, a lot of projects that, that don't have the, the basic level of community engagement and oversight. That's another area. Two, you can have a more democratic composition for a neighborhood advisory council. Right now with this neighborhood advisory council, you only have one representative on this council selected by the community. The other eight are political appointees. Mm-hmm. And we a more democratic structure, if it is to be a a council that is directly accountable to the people, the people should have a greater role in selecting who sits in those seats. So yeah. those are three things off the top of my mind. There are certainly more when you start <laughs> <But those> are, <laughs> getting your red pen out. There yeah. are certainly more to um, to draft a more robust Democratic ordinance. But those are three areas for improvement. But I do want to underscore that other cities have done way better community benefit agreements uh, than what we see coming out of Detroit without an ordinance. Mm-hmm. It is accountability with our leadership to listen to the people, to listen to the community, to look at data and define a project and measure the benefits by the actual demonstrated needs in the community. This district is 80% renters. Yes. 80%. Yes. The average income, median income is less than $32,000. Again, we ask our question, if we're making a public investment, are these luxury apartments serving the needs of the 80 percent renter population earning less than thirty two thousand dollars? Who can afford to live there? Yeah, really. I'm talking with uh, Tanya Myers Phillips. She is the Community Partnerships and Fund Development Director at the Sugar Law Center for Economic and Social Justice. We're talking about this two point three billion dollar development that is planned for the area around uh, Henry Ford Hospital. It's kind of uh, near New Center, uh, is near the new Detroit Pistons uh, Training Center, which is kind of across the freeway from there. Uh, also, Michigan State University is going to participate in the development as well. Uh, the question uh, lately is, how much will this investment, which is seeking about $290 million in state support, will benefit the people who live in that area? We do have an ordinance that sets up a process to define those benefits, but so far in this particular process, people have been really disappointed uh, about the way that's gone and what the outcome of that process has been. We would love to hear from you during the conversation 
uh, as well. Give us a call and let us know what you make of this particular development, but also about development in general in the city. Uh, How should we be sure that when people take tax dollars as part of the way that they build things in our city, that uh, the people who live here, the people who've been here, actually benefit from those things? Uh, Can we do better than we're doing now? If so, what would you do differently? Uh, The number here on the phones, as always, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can make you part of the program that way. Uh, so, Tony, I do want to talk about this particular development. And, and you brought up the, 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 some of the demographics that we're dealing with in terms of uh, economics in the area. This is a very hard hit part of yeah. the city. Uh, there's a reason I started the show off with this, uh, this example of driving my mother through that area. Uh, she lived here from the time she was a teenager. Uh, until she um, until she retired, really, and and she didn't even recognize it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there there was nothing there that that she could remember. Um, in your mind, the the what would the benefits ordinance produce here that would benefit that community that is not on the list that we've seen from the neighborhood advisory council so far? You know, well. The initial list that the Neighborhood Advisory Council put forth, reflective of demands that the community members asked, was a pretty comprehensive list. It was. It's one of the most comprehensive that I've seen in this process since our ordinance was enacted. So I would not add to the list because it had one of the most robust housing proposals that I've seen. There's a proposal for um, affordable housing fund where you have a down payment assistance for low-income persons to be able to become homeowners. They had a program model proposal for a program that was modeled after the Live Midtown program, where individuals receive down payment assistance and rental assistance. However, most of the people that benefited from that were employees of Henry Ford Hospital. So you could take that basic framework and change the eligibility criteria to benefit individuals in the neighborhood. There was a proposal for a community land trust to be able to, and what is that? Essentially, that is where housing is held by nonprofit organizations, Mm -hmm. and the mechanisms are such as that it's permanently affordable. It can be complicated, but we're going to make it simple. (laughs) It's permanently affordable housing. Those are uh, rental housing. They're complicated by state law in Michigan, too, which we should change. We should change, and that's in the works. But basically, it's a way to make housing affordable. There was a demand for to contribute to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which is one of the only funds in the city of Detroit that assists developers who want to actually build affordable housing, where you're not twisting their arms and asking them to do the right thing. They're coming to the table saying, I want to do this. And that is one of the only funds that makes that project possible. There was a demand to put money there. So it was a very robust, full proposal. There was a proposal for a neighborhood investment fund with contributions every year, as long as the the public money is being used, where community members can essentially grant and re-grant funds to a a variety of causes, food pantries, food co-ops, 
helping the children, you you name it. There was a proposal for union neutrality. Henry Ford is not a unionized shop, right? So workers don't have the type of protections that, you know, I believe as a, a union town city, right, that we, we value. So that was a proposal there as well. And Fairbanks School, that was another one that I liked. Fairbanks School is a a vacant commercial property mm-hmm. owned by Henry Ford, and it's been vacant and blighted for a long time. So the community members asked for that property to be transferred to a a nonprofit community entity to be able to be re- rehabilitated for community use. And I heard a lot of senior voices coming out asking for basic quality of life things like you know, just a shuttle or bring some of the development out of the hospital square. Most of the benefits are concentrated within a very, very tiny area within the hospital. So if you, it is a work, live, work and play project for Mm -hmm. sure. So if you're not living, working or playing in that area, it's going to be very hard for the average Detroiter to uh, realize any of these benefits, so to speak. So Many of the senior residents just wanted a playground near their facility where their grandchildren could play when they come to visit. And, you know, it really touched me, the story you shared about your your mother. So it was a very, very, um, it was a good list. I wouldn't add to the list that was already yeah. there. And if listeners want to see the proposals that were on the table, you can go to the City of Detroit website and just simply Google Future Health Detroit. You can look in the it says NAC, uh, Public Folder, that stands for Neighborhood Advisory Council. And you can see what community members ask for and compare this with um, what the developers said they were willing to do in exchange for $293 million, which wasn't, isn't much, frankly, um, in terms of direct community benefits, about $2 million, you know, and the rest is a compilation of things that they're already required to do for the most part. So the public can look. I would not add to that list. What I mm. would ask is our representatives take a second look at that list. And and as this process leaves phase one, the Neighborhood Advisory Council, and moves on to phase two, seeking approval from the city council, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd ask our representatives and our community go members. Go back and go, ask those questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Go back and look at a, a well-put-together list. Yeah. Okay, Tanya Myers-Phillips, it was really great to have you here to talk about this project and, of course, about uh, community benefits in a wider sense in our city. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about uh, development in Detroit and community benefits. We are going to get the perspective of Henry Ford Health, one of the three institutions that are part of this future of health development project in the middle of the city. Also want to continue to get to you, our listeners. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We're now joined by Denise Brooks-Williams, who is Henry Ford Health's Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer for Care Delivery System Operations, to talk about this project, to talk about the community benefits process, uh, and what Henry Ford uh, plans to do in the area. Denise, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, So let's start with what you would say is the overall goal 
of this project. Uh, and, and I want you to talk about that from, of course, the Henry Ford perspective, but also from the perspective of the community where this is where this is happening. Absolutely. So the goal of the Future of Health project is one that brings together partners that we hope are going to enhance the community. So create great benefit for them. It allows us to have a new hospital. So uh, over a 1.2 million square foot facility. Um, And I think if you live in the community, that is a tremendous benefit to have a site. Our current footprint is 108 years old in some parts of it. So we are extremely excited about the opportunity to really deliver care in a much more contemporary environment. The second asset, I believe, is the partnership that we have with Michigan State University in that we're going to bring educational opportunities for those that are interested in healthcare. We, of course, will also have research. And that research specifically for this community, extremely important because it is targeted at eliminating health disparities and really looking at equity. So um, the, the the critics of this process, this community benefits process, say that there were a lot of things that people in this area asked for and thought that this investment could uh, could accomplish for them, and they're really disappointed uh, at the list that at least we're working with now. Uh, talk about how we got to this place and whether they have a point that um, that this is a lot of money, this is a lot of tax money that's going to support this project and the benefits on the backside for the community should be bigger. We definitely looked at the impacts that came from the Neighborhood Advisory Council. And as you know, this is a multi-week process. I will say for those that um, are expressing a bit of disappointment that I hope they listen or join us this evening to see where we ultimately arrive. So as everyone knows, it is literally we met as recently as last night to continue our discussion and dialogue. And I heard your previous um, guest and I agree in the essence that the list was a strong list. And we talked deeply about... This is the list that the community came up with. This is the list that the community came up with. I also, of course, feel that the developer's response to that list was incredibly impactful as well. And so I think what I would say is we need to wait to see what the benefit agreement is because it is literally still in discussion, you know, in dialogue, and it will be so this evening. But there are things in there. I'll, I'll highlight a couple because most of this is, of course, public because we've discussed it. There are scholarships that are in the benefit package. So if you talk about how we will enhance the future and those that are in the community, we're looking at how we will give people literal access to jobs that will be lifelong for them. There are things in there that support seniors. It may not all come from the developer, but parks are important to us as well. We have really led with this project being around creating a livable, workable community. And so while it may not appear that it's coming from the developer, I assure you that in neighborhoods beyond the impact area, there will be rebirth and there will be a more positive environment. I have to speak to Fairbanks School Mm -hmm. because I know that that has continued to come up as well. And it is addressed by the developers um, in the response to the impacts. So I, I know that there may be some that would like more um, if you have had the occasion to go and look, there were 155 um, items that were presented by the Neighborhood Advisory Council. Over 80 of those were responded to by the developers. Um, and so we believe that we have truly acted in good faith to do as much as we possibly could to close the gap. And and we won't close it all, but the gap will be closed so, as a result so of So can it. you talk about, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get too deep into any particular 
uh, item on the list, but but the school is kind of a flashpoint. You say that is addressed. How is it addressed? It is addressed by committing to ensure that Fairbanks School will be used for the benefit of the community. It will have an advisory council that we currently have within our health system footprint, which is representative of people in the community and, and broader. Um, but we will advance that we will be open to others participating in that work. So we together will figure out good use for that site that will bring value to the community. So so I, I think one of the issues that people have with this process so far is, is about numbers, right? $293 million million dollars in uh, in public support for this project that's a that's a very big number um, and when they look at the list of benefits they don't see they don't see anything approaching that size uh, uh, we aren't getting 300 million dollars worth of public benefits from this project and again I started the conversation with Tanya Myers Phillips by saying I think there's a gap in expectations uh, in terms of what people think they are supposed to get out of this process. Um, but I want to have you speak just a little to how you come up with four $293 million in public support. What's the right, what's the right number of public investment that the developers should return for that? So when you look at this project, I've said, and I've been the person who's led a lot of the dialogue and conversation um, on behalf of the developers, it is unique, right? So I will start there. If you look at the ordinance, the ordinance does not prescribe a dollar for dollar. They don't give you a rubric, right, to say that there's a number. But I would submit if I'm a Detroiter, and I am, I live in the Northwest side of the city, um, having a world-class hospital in your community is a benefit. And we have been challenged consistently around, is it one that we are obligated to provide or one that should be there? And I won't debate that, but I will say that improving and enhancing care to a community that has been described, as we've described, the disparities in this community is a benefit. Monetized or not, it's a benefit. Having research in that community that is specifically targeted at the health conditions, the higher rates of cancer, the maternal mortality rates that African-American women are facing, and being committed to trying to resolve those gaps is a community benefit. There has been a tremendous amount of discussion around the housing and the affordability of the housing and where the benefits come in that area. We worked independently with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation who guided the review of that work and they would say that it meets the standard and without the support it would not be able to be developed by any rational person who would do that work. The only other thing I can add is that there is $119 million worth of benefits, again, objectively scored, I will say for lack of a better word, as a result of this project. So while it does not directly match that number of investment, it is 50% or so of it. And that is because Detroiters will have jobs. There are 702 permanent jobs that will come out of this project. The Gilbert family, as an example, have stepped up and put $10 million worth of personal commitment so that for rehabilitative services, those that are in the Detroit footprint that will use that site, if they have gaps in their ability to receive that service, they'll have that fund to draw from. So I, I believe the community benefit ordinance was put in place for the right reason. As I said, I'm a Detroiter. I want benefit as well as people develop and partner with us. 
But I would ask for people to look at our project for its uniqueness and understand that we may be bringing benefit in a different way. Um, And we have truly, in good faith, tried to listen to what's been put before us and responded as best as we could. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, happens a lot in this community is that when developers create something or build something, their argument to the community is, well, what I'm building is part of the benefit, right? Uh, uh, Someone who's building a a skyscraper downtown will say, well, this will create economic activity that may raise the tax base here in in downtown Detroit. As you point out, building a new hospital in a neighborhood uh, is something that has uh, a a real effect uh, on, on that area. But I think that one of the frustrations that Detroiters have with that argument is that they don't see those benefits once the development is is completed. They feel like these things are happening in their neighborhood and happening to them, not for them. And I say that as someone who, you know, uh, who, who of course lives in a neighborhood. I was born in a neighborhood, uh, a different neighborhood where where people express that that kind of sentiment a lot. What could Ford do here? What could the Pistons, what could Michigan State do to make the community feel more like they are part of this process? And so that by, by, by the time you're done, maybe they're not talking about tax incentives. They're talking about this new great thing in their community. I think that's a great point, Stephen, and we hope that that is where we would end ultimately. Coming into this process, the Pistons, Michigan State, and Henry Ford spoke to over a thousand individuals um, and did that through many, many organizational conversations. I think it was nearly 80 organizations. And I will tell you what resonates. We came out with pillars um, that resonated with what we heard, and we have used the NAC has been very gracious and used those pillars as the framework of what our conversation and discussion has been. So I feel very confident that the community's voice is being heard in this work and in this project. And so I do believe that ultimately they will see themselves in what we're doing. So so another gap that I think exists is, is between the idea of people being heard and people uh, seeing outcomes that reflect what they said. And and here, I think this is a very stark example of that. The community put together this very comprehensive list. What they're getting back is, you know, a fractional representation of that list in, 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 in their eyes. Uh, and so it's not just about engagement, right? It's not just about who do you talk to and who do you include in the conversations about what happens? It's about who has a say over what happens. And the community here is saying they didn't have sufficient say, that that they gave, I, I mean, I'm sure they didn't expect to get 100% of what they asked for, but what they got back uh, in terms of what the institutions here were willing to do doesn't come close to what they were asking for. So so how do you, I guess, again, how do you bridge that gap between the idea of people being heard and people seeing outcomes that reflect their perspective? I would say 
as we define community, and I, I, I'm going to stick to the knack, right, at, at this point, I think we'll have an opportunity to see this evening. Um, and I, I, again, respect greatly the individuals that are serving on the Neighborhood Advisory Council. They have tirelessly worked to try to come to a place where they do feel that they are representing not just themselves, but those, you know, that they are there and the voices that they've heard. I think that's why the list was so long, because they really did try to bring in all of the concerns and issues that were there. But I think that if you were talking to them, honestly, they would also say that we had to come to a place of prioritization and a place where we could be as outcomes oriented as possible with things that we really thought we could do together. Um, I would also say we're not done. And so I, I, I think it unfortunate if people are registering concern today, let's try to look tomorrow and see if we feel a little bit more optimistic, you know, about where we end up. Um, because I do think that people will feel that we have addressed many of the substantive issues that were raised, maybe not issue for issue, but we may have banded five together and come out with a result that will be equally powerful. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, this is my last question. I want to go back to something else you said earlier. Uh, you referenced the the public support for this, the tax incentives, and said that uh, that without these, this wouldn't be possible. This project wouldn't happen. I think it's really hard for people to understand that in a city where these institutions uh, have lots of money and where there's almost a race now, it seems, to develop the next big thing in Detroit. What's the explanation for that? Why do you need so much public support to make a project like this possible? So the first thing I would say is that we, we are now at $3.5 billion for this project. The investment is the $293 million. When I say it wouldn't be affordable, I'm talking specifically about the housing component of it and what you need to do a housing development from an investment perspective and to just simply be able to have the financing work. Those are not Denise Brooks-Williams' words. Those are the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation words about viability or lack thereof for the housing component. I would also sit here and say Henry Ford Health System is 100% committed to have a new healthcare facility in the community. I would never suggest that we would do it without the community because we do it for the community. We are here in service. So we absolutely would never say that we would, you know, do it in spite of. We want to do it with because we're doing it for and we always include the community in anything that we do. We are a part of this process because of our strong belief that the voice of the community matters. And so while we may not independently trigger some of the thresholds to be you know, involved in the CBO, we willingly lead with our partners that work because we know that we are a large component of this project. I would also say I could speak freely for my you know, colleagues at Michigan State University. They feel the exact same way. So my statement about not you know, being able to do it is specifically related to the housing. It's the housing component. Yeah, the housing yeah. component. Okay. Uh, Denise uh, Brooks-Williams, uh, Henry Ford Health Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer for Care Delivery System Operations. Uh, I really appreciate you coming back to, to talk more about uh, this project. I'm going to make you promise before you leave that you will come back again as we get further into uh, all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to it, Stephen, and thank you so much. Thank you. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about this development near New Center in Detroit. We're going to hear from a community representative 
outside of the defined area of impact who believes his community was left out of this community benefits conversation. We're also going to get to you, the listeners. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. There are some folks who live near the future of health development, which is near New Center and involves Henry Ford and Michigan State and the Detroit Pistons, who feel like they have been left out of the community benefits process. That's because they live in Northwest Goldberg a small neighborhood just to the west of Henry Ford Hospital. To talk about that neighborhood and its role in this development, I'm joined now by Daniel Washington. He's a lifelong resident of Northwest Goldberg. He's the founder and executive director of Northwest Goldberg Cares. He says that community has not been part of the formal discussions related to this development. Daniel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's talk about the future of health development, what you think of it, and why Northwest Goldberg, I guess, wasn't part of the process to decide what the community should be getting uh, as part of this project. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, undoubtedly. I mean, when you think about it, um, as a kid born and raised there, for me, I've always seen Henry Ford as an institutional partner, regardless of you know whether I like it or not. So I've always kind of given them that level of respect and just understood what they mean to the area. But it seems as if in the last really five years, there hasn't been much progress with acknowledging its impact negatively in that area, undoubtedly. When you think about the acquisition of land, there was an article that just came out in Detroit News that talked about them having over 300 parcels. And there just seems to be this narrative that continues to get pushed that it's positive, it's positive, it's positive, it's positive. We're doing all these positive things. But when you look at that area, which I'm sure you've driven it as a Detroiter, it's a blighted community. Mm -hmm. It's a community that's hurting and ailing from years of systematic disinvestment, from systematic racism, from people looking at it and saying, we don't even want to acknowledge this area, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Mayor uh, Mike Duggan, you know, has finally taken a look at it with the Lee Plaza, but that's the first real political interest in that area really since 67. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, really big deal when you think about the type of money that's going to be invested in this community right there on West Grand Boulevard in the Lodge. That's in Northwest Goldberg. It's not a new center. It's not in Virginia Park. It's not in Tech Town. It's Northwest Goldberg. And there's no conversation about that. Uh, So let's talk about why... Northwest Goldberg was left out of the Neighborhood Advisory Committee here. What, what's the explanation you've been given for that? I mean, everybody keeps saying it's about the census track. You know, when when I get that conversation, you know, I, I, I kind of cringe because I think that we can all admit and agree that census tracks and uh, everything with determining lines and boundaries historically in our nation has always been questionable, right? When you actually think about a project as big as this at about $3 billion and $2.3 billion is going into the new hospital that sits in the neighborhood, I don't think we need to go back and forth and debate about is the actual specific neighborhood that shares the same area code, is it gravely impacted, positively and negatively? And I think that was, and that has always been my argument as the leader in that community or as a leader in that community is like, hey, let's let's stop getting into all these words and all this wordsmithing and let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Is this project in this neighborhood? And if it shares the same neighborhood, then let's really be intentional about including the people here because these people 
are really looking for some good positive change. They're lo- really looking for Henry Ford Health System to take a stand for them and say, hey, we're going to commit to this area. We know what we've done. We understand what we did. There was a reason for what we did, right? We had to acquire the land to be able to get to this point where we can propose such a large project. But now we're ready to try to make some amends. And we see doing that by allowing you all to be at the table as neighbors, as family, and we want to do right by you all. We want to see elderly residents get assistance in housing, right? We want to see short-term renters be able to convert to home ownership. We want to see small businesses return to this neighborhood. I mean, these are things that, you know, West Grand Boulevard Collaborative and so many other great partners have been advocating for. And we look at the list of benefits, I'm going to be honest with you. The biggest thing that stands out to me is a $15 million commitment to the Ruth Ellis situation. Mm-hmm. And that's outside of it. It's like that, that, That's area. really, that's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's just that's the way I best way I can put it. It's heartbreaking. So, so if you go through the list of things that uh, the institutions say they will do as part of this process, they've responded to the neighborhood advisory council's list. Uh, what do you think of it? What do you what do you think the effect might be on Northwest Goldberg of the things that they say they will do? I, I think, honestly, it's just it's missing a boat. Uh, it's, that's the best way I could put it. I mean, like I said, I mean, when you talk about even this education, the young lady that came before me, um, you know, you talk about the education piece. I mean, we all know as Detroiters that are informed, the Detroit Promise exists for a reason. Why are we recreating this idea of we're going to give scholarships to high school students? At the end of the day, there's a lot of philanthropy that's went into years in the making of, of making sure that every Detroit kid that gets admitted to a public university in the state of Michigan can it's, go for free. It's paid for. So what are we talking about? So you're just going to, I guess, pat yourselves on the back and say, hey, we're going to just add a little bit more money to this coffer so we check the box off. And that's the type of conversation that if I was given the opportunity or if residents in my area were given the opportunity to be on this advisory committee, that would have came up. That wouldn't have been even acknowledged as a benefit. It would have been understood as this isn't necessarily doing the thing that you all think is going to do. Now, if you actually looked at the benefits and said, hey, we're going to create an ch- early childhood program, right, that is actually getting kids exposed to careers in medicine and things like that. Now I can at least say, okay, there's some attempt to look at education from a holistic standpoint, as we know that our pre-K through second grade is struggling in literacy, struggling in math, struggling in uh, early, early cognitive areas, right? But what we're not going to do is act like we're recreating a wheel when there's something already created. And philanthropy is spending millions of dollars per year in the city of Detroit to make sure that our babies, our kids, have an opportunity to attend university. Yeah. You know, and like I said, housing. The biggest issue I have with the plan is there's very little to do about the housing and the current housing stock in Northwest Goldberg. You're in a neighborhood, and I've said this undoubtedly to all Henry Ford officials that I can speak to. When you think about where Henry Ford is investing across the state, Northwest Goldberg is undoubtedly the poorest the most uneducated place. So with that being said, why would you not want your shiny new toy, your new home, your new frontier to be a place of real healing and growth and to continue to say that the business that you're in day in and day out is an implied benefit is almost disrespectful. Actually, it is disrespectful. Let me take that back. It is disrespectful. And I think that that conversation is dangerous because it's this idea that this community just deserves the bare minimum. This community just deserves to, you know, at the end of the day, you should just be happy we're here because at the end of the day, like we're making an investment. This is about housing and this is about health and this is about healing a community. And I don't see that in this plan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, it was really great to have you here, Daniel. And it was really great to have an opportunity to, to highlight this part of the city, this neighborhood that, uh, as you point out, gets overlooked 
an awful lot uh, when we talk about the future uh, of Detroit. Uh, Daniel Washington, thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.